This week on Dueling Review, we review Vinegar Teeth number two from Dark Horse Comics. After busting a Canadian drug ring, down on his luck cop Artie Buckle tries to keep his new partner Vinegar Teeth under control. But can an alcoholic, miserable bum like Artie really fight crime and work together with a Lovecraftian monster with a heart of gold? Let's find out. Okay, we're cranking it up all the way up to, to 11. Can't go to 11, I will die. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, it happens. So I'm, you know, sitting here today going, Bleh. Well, at least you're not Artie Buckle. <laughs> right? At least you're not saddled with a, bass, a gas bag full of Lovecraftian horror. At least you're not saddled with an obvious drinking problem, rage issues, serious respect problems for from everybody around you, and a hat that's actually bigger than your car. See, I'm I'm wondering if you're describing Artie Buckle or not. I I, I am describing. <laughs> oh, Artie okay, good. Buckle. For a minute there, I didn't know whether to take offense. Yeah, well, you know how it is. <laughs> you don't have a hat as big as your car. I might. I might. I bet if I looked around, I have a hat as big as my car. What's up with the hats? It's like not you're, Artie. You're it's like everybody in this book has a giant hat head. It's it's a stylistic thing. You know what it reminds me of? Because I'm old. Do you remember Sunday nights in college when we would come home and MTV would be playing liquid television? And they would have these weird, just over-the-top, avant-garde, wacky, cartoony things. Yeah, what was her That's, name? The... Uh... Eon Flux. Eon Flux, yeah. Yeah, Peter Chung's Eon Flux. This one reminds me a little bit more of like uh, Dog Boy or some of the more, you know, the Otre kind of over-the-top impressionistic stuff. But yeah, everybody's hats are huge. And it's kind of fun because if you actually look, their their coats are huge and oversized. And this seems to be set in the 30s. Uh, is it, though? Because... I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure out when a good time period is because they have TV right. with uh, with replay capability. So it's it's in it's in a post VHS uh, or post VTR society. But they have you know huge, massive, old wired microphones that look like something that you'd be calling Mister and Miss America and all the ships at yeah. sea. And all of the vehicles are these massive Packard monstrosities. Well, and so if, if we're talking, you know, Lovecraftian horror, I mean, you're going to be setting it in the, the, the 20s and 30s or before. Right. Because uh, that's when, when Lovecraft would write. So you would be right in this time frame for these cars. But mm -hmm. there's so much of this that just seems weird and out of place. And well, I don't know. I, mean, I, it, I think that may be by design. I think it's it, it may be. You know, the metaphorical timeless experience mm -hmm. where, you know, it's definitely evoking the 1930s where everybody's pants were pulled way up to their nipples and they all talk like this, see? And I can definitely see where there are aspects of this that are clearly postmodern. Mm -hmm. Things that have to be taking place in, you know, a, a time that you'd expect to be, you know, turn of the century yeah. or later. Yeah. Well, and then I don't know if you read issue one. I did. I read them both. Yeah. So in the first issue, you've got the um, the dealing with the uh, Canadian smugglers bringing in, um, mm -hmm. I'm guessing, whiskey of some kind. So it's got to be maybe an, even a prohibition type era. Yeah. Which would put it, you know, what, 1929, 1930? Yeah. yeah. 
I don't know. I'm I am so this really feels like an, an indie comic like if in the nineteen nineties if you were to read one like a crumb comic or something like that. Yeah, or or uh black hole. Yeah. This would be the kind of art that I would expect to find inside. And honestly, Robert Crumbs, C.S. Lewis, yeah, does H.P. Lovecraft. Honestly, I'm not a fan of this art style. I mean, it's fine. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the colors are are neat. I kind of like how they have the compositional style. Mm-hmm. But man, is it ugly, in my opinion. And I don't mean ugly as in this artist doesn't know what they're doing. It's right. ugly it's- as in it's not appealing to me. It is intentionally garish and it's intentionally over the top grotesque and it's mm-hmm. intentionally disgusting in certain areas. Uh, pretty much anything having to do with the titular Vinegar Teeth, who is apparently, what, what is he? He's like a, a Shagoth or some, some Yeah, schmack. he's got to be a Shagoth or something. It's something of, of Lovecraftian horror. We don't know what. Right. He's a yeah, thing. Definitely it's a thing that whenever he gets the scent of blood, he eats whatever is nearby, usually it's human. <laughs> and because right. of that, he has helped Artie buckle or been in the presence of Artie, our cop, mm-hmm. whenever something is going down. And so that he ends up keep the, the, the monster becomes a member of the police force. And then he becomes head of all detective investigations by the end of this issue. And right, of course, this is, yeah, well, hero <laughs> by accident, right? Yes, but the mayor wants to make sure that he is front and center of all police activities because he's a hero beloved by the public, Mm -hmm. sort of. Yeah. And Artie, of course, is a terrible malcontent. He's like he's like John McClane with a Shemp haircut and anger issues that are visible from space. And he's the only one, though. He's the only one that sees this monster for what he really is. And I'm not saying that other people look at it and go, oh, look, there's a normal human being. Right. I mean that Artie is like, you're a monster and this is not right and something weird is afoot and I'm going to get down to it. But in the meantime, I quit my police job because everyone is an idiot and won't listen to me. Hats. Mm-hmm. Hats, hats, hats. And that's what he screams. No, you're a real piece of crap. Hats. And there's just like yeah. some weirdness going on. Like the uh, the bank robbery is being held up by like Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. And they're lighting off firecrackers and blowing up. I don't know. This is just... It's absurdity. It is is. literally absurd and it's intentionally off-putting and our main character is a total jackbag. Everything about Artie is off-putting and terrible to the point where, you know, at one point he walks out after quitting and he looks up in the sky and screams, what, you think you're some kind of metaphor for my life? Screw you, clouds! Yeah. You know, it's so over the top that it's clearly meant to be. I don't. I, I don't know if I would call it a satirical piece, but it's well, clearly. Well, I think meant it's supposed to be. to be funny. Well, and funny is always in the eye of the beholder. I found parts of it quite amusing. Yeah. Oh I, no, the the little the tentacle premise. thing. Hey, Artie, you got a tentacle too. Why is yours so small? <laughs> yeah, and the thing where the uh, Artie's cop uh, friends who don't necessarily like him much. Ended up giving vinegar teeth and an atomic tuba. Yeah. Which is kind of entertaining. Telling me, oh, yeah, he loves music. And of course, it destroys his whole house. And yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think that this is, this is definitely creators who know what they're doing. You can't break this many rules. Right, right. 
without knowing the rules that you're breaking. And I feel like uh, Troy Nixie's art mm-hmm. is intentionally over the top grotesque. It's intentionally meant to be, again, not necessarily parodic, but definitely meant to be something where you're like, okay, they are going well above and beyond what is absolutely necessary. And I think it may be one of those moments where it's like, we have this premise. Mm-hmm. We have this setup that is so weird and so tray that we want to just literally throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. So the fact that the, you know, the main character, the sort of kind of hero eats a, a French person on panel rather graphically and rather grossly. And at one point, you know, we discover that somebody in the back seat of the car has basically been liquefied. Yeah, and that's the other story is that while a Vinegar Teeth, our Lovecraftian monster, is beloved by all, the city is quietly being overtaken by these spore creatures mm-hmm. uh, in the water supply. And uh, they are going around and killing people and doing horrible things. So, I mean, it's all coming to a head and it's all very <laughs> scary and it's all very interesting from that story perspective. Um, but I think the thing that I expected, I expected humor and you can have really good, smart humor uh, in a tale where a cop and a Lovecraft monster team up to fight crime. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you can have some really good humor in here. But this went way beyond what I was thinking of, of humor going into that absurdist uh, category. Yeah. And I was kind of like really taken aback by this series. Uh, it just was it's not anything that I that I expected is what I'm saying. And. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not what I expected. And I think that that kind of tarnished, you know, when you go in with an expectation of something and it's not what you expect, you mm-hmm. kind of have a negative reaction to it. And I think that's where I'm coming from is, yeah, wow, this was not not what I thought it was going to be. Well, and, you know, there's there's a level of that that ash versus evil dead. Mm hmm level of metatextuality to a what's essentially a horror story and this is i think at its core meant to be sort of kind of a take on a horror story because i mean the whole thing about lovecraft is people are being replaced and infiltrated by these weird monsters and nobody knows it except for the main character so if you look at artie Mm -hmm. the fact that artie is the only one who knows what's going on here but then you also have to take in the cartoonish levels of violence, the ridiculousness of, you know, oh, no, the Boy Scouts are attacking. Yeah, yeah. Fire in the hole. They they throw a big bunch of M80 firecrackers at him. It's, I mean, it's something, this is the equivalent of a joke told really loud. Yeah. And then if nobody laughs, you repeat the punchline really loud and you yeah. go, hey, Dave, didn't you hear a yeah. woman with a vision? So, yeah, I don't think that it is for everybody. I found it agreeable. I found it enjoyable. Uh, I did, you know, having read both issues while sick, I did find the grotesquery and the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The liquefaction of human people to maybe be a little more than my stomach was happy with. But even that is something that is played cartoonish. It's Mm -hmm. played like an episode of The Mask. Yeah. You know, when you watch the mask cartoon back in the 1990s to get something a little bit more, you know, up to date than your your uh, liquid television from 1991. The mask was 1999. So that pushes me almost into the current century. I liked it. I don't know that if I were walking into a comic shop and grabbing comics and saying, 
you know, hey, what's this? Look at this cover. What's this going to be about? Mm-hmm. Whether I would pick it up and read it of my own accord. But I would, if I bumped into it in the three for a dollar bin, immediately go, this is too weird not to grab. Right. I think for me, the, the price point isn't that big of a price point isn't that big of a deal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a four issue miniseries is my understanding, because um, I think the in credit said next time is the penultimate issue of this series. Um, yeah. Come on back for the penultimate knuckle biting buck, buckle fighting issue of vinegar teeth. So that means that to me, it's a four issue miniseries and yeah. I'm okay with this being a four issue miniseries. I might, I'm just interested enough to see what the, what the point is of this story. What's the metaphorical denouement? Yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see where the story is going and what's what's the point of it. That I'm I'm probably going to at least check out the next two it, issues. I may not enjoy it, but at yeah. least I want to check them out. I would warn you that based on how joyfully they're subverting the tropes of a horror story and the tropes of a police procedural and the expectation of who is the real monster, mm-hmm. I would expect that a story this absurdist, and a story this so far beyond, is probably going to have the patented non-climax climax moment where probably. it ends and it just sort of, oh, you know, I expect there to be a lots of blood and guts. I don't expect Artie to be, you know, I expect him to be vindicated, but not, you know, hey, It'll we be, love you, Artie. It's forced by issue four. It'll be fine. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I'm I'm split on the issue. I, I don't know if I can re- recommend this and I don't know if I should if I say run away from this. I'm just like right there in the middle. It's both likable and unlikable at the same time. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, you you run into a book that's clearly well put together. It Mm -hmm. clearly has appeal, but it's not necessarily your bag. Whereas I'm like, yeah, I can see it. Mm -hmm. I I actually feel like I would recommend it to the right people with the caveat that it's kind of gross and definitely absurd. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Coming out next week from Dark Horse Comics, we have Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 11, the Giles uh, issue, number one. So if you want to know all about Giles, that's the one you want to get. Also, Elf Quest, the final quest, number 24, which I do believe is the final issue in that in that series. Uh, DC Comics says Action Comics 998, Batgirl, number 20, Blue Beetle, number 18, which is the final issue of that series. Oh, they canceled Blue Beetle? Well, it's coming to an end, and it's weird because when I reviewed Blue Beetle 17, I believe, on the Major Spoilers podcast, I said, this feels like an ending. Right. And then they had one more issue to go. I mean, it was, I mean, issue number 17 was an ending of an arc, and that is where I would have ended it. They have one more issue to go, and I read the solicitation for it, and it feels very much like a prologue. Mm, I wonder if they're going to do I'm sorry, it feels like an epilogue, sorry. Right, the epilogue, the wrap it up, put yeah. all the toys back in the box and do our yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. That'll be interesting to see what happens there. Detective Comics has issue 975. Doom Patrol, JLA Special Number 1, arrives in stores as does Flash <laughs> Number 41. Uh, the Justice League of America Number 25. Scooby-Doo Team-Up Number 35. Uh, Suicide Squad Number 36. Teen Titans 17. And Wonder Woman Number 41 all arrive at uh, the store next week from DC Comics. 
IDW Publishing has DuckTales number six. G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero 249. G.I. Joe versus the Six Million Dollar Man number one. What? Yeah. You haven't seen this? You need to read those solicitations that we post what? on MajorSpoilers.com. Because G.I. Joe is going to be taking on the Six Million Dollar Man. And this is not a one shot. This is definitely a miniseries because this is going to continue through May. I know I, I was looking at this yesterday. I believe issue is it three or four comes out in May. So uh, next week, Matthew, G.I. Joe versus the Six Million Dollar Man. And it totally is uh, Steve Austin. The action figure fight we've been waiting for. Yes, since it 1977. is. Except uh, Six Million Dollar Man was like one of them 12 inch figures. G.I. Joe's a three and three quarter inch figure. Oh, not back at that time, my friend. In the 70s? The yeah, oh, the yeah. three and three quarter issue started That's right, G.I. Joe was the giant one. But the G.I. Joe we know that this yeah. series is based on is based on the toys. G.I. Joe. Yeah, it'll be Stalker interesting. Stalker and Grunt and Snake Eyes and Ape Face. And yeah, and they're going to take on uh, Oscar and uh, uh, mm -hmm. Six Million Dollar Man. I think Rudy. his name is just Six Million Dollar Man. Uh, Sasquatch. Man. Could you imagine having all those bionics and stuff in you for only $6 million? That's a bargain. Not in 1977, mister. Well, I'm talking about today. Well, today you could spend $6 million and not even have a decent house. Yep. Uh, Rich Veach's The One, number one, comes out. Rick, Rick Veach, The yep. One. Transformers what? Lost Light, number 15, and Transformers versus the Visionaries, number three. No Scarlet's Strike Force next week. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. Bummer. Yeah. Image Comics has Days of Hate, number two. Uh, Hack Slash Resurrection, number five. Rat Queens, number eight. Spawn 283. Throwaways, number 12. And Void Trip, number four. The penultimate issue right there. Over in Marvel Comics, it's the all-new Wolverine, number 31. That's with the legacy numbering, Matthew. That's why it's got the 31 on there. Right, right, right. Avengers 677 gets a second printing and 682 both arrive. You know, my cousin's phone number was 391 when I was growing up. Oh, really? It wasn't yeah, 675309? No, it was a small town. My phone number was four. Mm. Um, but I had to write his down, but I wrote it on my forehead, so I kept dialing 13. Mm -hmm. Doctor Strange, 386. Gwynpool, number 25. Legion, number two. Lockjaw, number one. Let's see. The New Mutants get an epic collection, The Curse of the Valkyries. It's a $39.99 collection. Spider-Gwen hits dun, dun. issue number 29. Spider-Man and Deadpool hit issue number 28 under their legacy numbering. Ooh. Uh, then also we have X-Men Blue number 22 and X-Men Blue annual number two. Or excuse me, X-Men Blue annual number one second printing. You oh, got that so it's to look forward to. Number 1.2. Something like that. Yeah. In all the rest category, we have Agent 47, Birth of Hitman number four. That's from Titan Comics. Oh, what else do we have? Betty Page, number eight from Dynamite Entertainment. Betty and Veronica Vixens, number four from Archie Comics. I don't know what Bunny vs. Monkey is, but it's getting a graphic novel, and it's up to the third volume of its release. So think about that. Mm. We also have the Disney Fairies Manga Graphic Novel, volume four. Disney Fairies Manga Novel. Grimm's Fairy Tale from Zenoscope Entertainment, Dance of the Dead, number four of six, arrives, as does Grimm Fairy Tales, Grimm Tales of Terror, volume three, number 13. That's the one you want to pick up. Actually, probably volume 13, number 13. On page 13, that's the one you want to uh, be aware of. 1313 Mockingbird Lane. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 
I get my TV guide there, but it's always an address to Ms. Chenandler Bong. Mm. Grim Fairy Tales number 12 also comes out. John Carpenter's Tales of Sci-Fi Vortex number 5. Kiss AOD. I don't know what that is, but it's a brand new number one issue that has got to be from Dynamite Entertainment because Dynamite's the only one that touches Kiss right now. Army of Darkness, probably. Oh, yeah, maybe. I bet that's it. Lumberjanes number 47. Pizzeria Kamikaze original graphic novel hardcover. Pizzeria Kamikaze? Yeah, Pizzeria Kamikaze. I have no idea what that's about, but why don't we do a little quick copy-paste and see what we got. Pizzeria Kamikaze from Amazon Books. Is the world really falling apart? Is the idea of progress opposite? This doesn't look like the right thing. Some German paperback thing. That's not right. Pizzeria Kamikaze. I think you probably have to look at for original graphic novel, is my guess. This is some. Der Busfahrer der Gotze Volta. I don't know. Here we go. From Boom Studios. Presented in the first time in full color, award winning Edgar Carrot's powerful graphic novel, Pizzeria Kamikaze is a most unexpected story of love, loss, and escape. Morty wanted to get away. Now condemned to an afterlife exclusively for all victims of suicide, he still has to attend a crappy job in a place no less crappy than the place he came from. When he discovers that his beloved ex-girlfriend is there too, he embarks on a much-needed road trip through an absurdist and fantastical landscape to find her. Pizzeria Kamikaze stays lighthearted without being funny and is morbid without employing despair. Highly recommended, says the Library Journal on the New York Times bestseller list. $24.99. Now I want to read that. Well, I will bet that we will have a um, sneak peek of that next week at the Major Spoilers website, and I bet you they will send us a review copy as well. We should do that as a... Are we still... We're still missing some trade paperback reviews for 2018. Yeah, maybe we'll look at it. Chuck that pizzeria kamikaze in there. We, We will think about that indeed. And don't think about the fact that you can sing it to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles song. I don't don't think you really can, but we do have Steven Universe ongoing number 13 next week, as well as um, Trump Titans versus the Mandala Effect number one. What, boy? Trump's Titans versus the Mandala or the Mandela Effect number one. I'm going to bet that's a Blue Wave book. Is that what it's going to be? Boy, I don't even know. Oh, this is Keen Spot Entertainment. President Donald J. Trump is now the most powerful superhero in the universe and the leader of the greatest super team in history. But for how long? History is quickly being changed by something called the Mandela Effect. The universe is being uh, berenstained. Oh, God. (laughs) All the things we remember are now slightly different. The way names are spelled, the way company logos look, and even scenes from Star Wars and James Bond movies. The Mandela Effect is the greatest threat our country has ever known and and only President Trump can stop it. Trump's Titans return in an all new number one because number fours are for losers. Um, hmm. Uh, uh, hmm. I'm a little worried. I am too. About that. I mean, it's somewhat kind of funny, right? But on the other hand, if you've got Trump beating up uh, Nelson Mandela, um, that's somewhat troubling. I, I don't know. I mean, there comes a point. They did it in the 80s with Reagan's Raiders. Yeah. And and I think that that may be exactly what this is a reference to. But, yeah, there comes a point where I think the parody just isn't quite there. And you can't just make the joke 
that, hey, look, this person is president and now he talks like this and that's the joke. I don't know. I'd be happy to read it. I mean, it sounds funny, but I just wonder mm-hmm. if it's going to be a white guy beating up a black guy. I don't want to read that. You know, it's written by John Barron. I, yeah, I don't know who that is. John Barron is the name that uh, reputedly the president used when he was pretending to be his own oh, that's uh, press right. man <laughs> back in the 90s. <laughs> So maybe the joke is that that this comic is not written by the main character of the comic. No, I think this is an alternate universe story where uh, the real world is starting to trickle in and he realizes that we're all being... I love the real world back in the day. I like the real world too back in the day. Season one of the real world with like Eric and Becky and... I liked, uh, what was it? Is it season four when we got, uh, what's his name? The comic guy? Season three, yeah, season San three. Francisco. Yeah, I like that season. Yeah. No, I, I hated Puck. Or yeah, Puck. Everybody hates Puck, and everybody loves Pedro. Yeah, that's how that goes. Yep, yep. Uh, let's wrap this uh, list out with Exo Manowar number twelve. Exo Manowar. Check out MajorSpoilers.com next week for a complete list, and check your comic book store for cool comics on Wednesday. Next week on Dueling Review. Mera, Queen of Atlantis, number one. From the pages of Aquaman comes a brand new adventure starring Mera in her own title for the first time ever. As the brutal Atlantean civil war rages, Mera must keep the peace between the surface world and Atlantis as its newly anointed queen in exile. But when Aquaman's brother Orm, a.k.a. the Ocean Master, learns of his homeland's fate, he'll stop at nothing to return to Atlantis as its king and savior. You can show your support for this show and everything we do at Major Spoilers by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash majorspoilers. Your contribution allows us to keep this show going, pay for our growing costs, and gives us the motivation to produce more content for you each and every week. Thank you so much for checking out Dueling Review. We will talk with you next time when you will hear Matthew say, Won't come back from Dead Man's Curve. This podcast is copyright 2018 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.